Hello, welcome to Way Too Seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is a podcast where we talk about kids' movies and take them way too seriously. This week, we watched and we'll be talking about the Adam Sandler movie Hotel Transylvania. Why don't you take it away, Jen? Tell us about this movie. Hotel Transylvania is a 2012 movie with uh, Adam Sandler, Andy Sandberg, Selena Gomez. It's about Dracula and his daughter and Johnny, played by Andy, Andy Sandberg, who visits the Hotel Transylvania. And it's the whole mess of events that we'll kind of go through, I guess, step by step. This is our first podcast of this uh, podcast series, and we haven't really decided what we're going to be doing. Stop doing a weird voice. <laughs> Sorry, that's my official podcasting voice. Please don't. I don't want to podcast with that brand again. Okay. So, I think we should start with highlights. Yes. What do we like about this movie? The animation was really good. I felt like it was... Not the most beautiful animation I've ever seen, but it was well done, and I didn't ever think like it was off or bad or anything. It was also a really smooth animation. I there was a lot of little funny moments, little tiny highlights of like the talking skulls and things that were that cracked me up and cracked our kids up. Yeah, um, I agree. The animation was one of the high points. It was good to look at. Uh, again, I don't think it was the most beautiful movie in the universe, but there was never anything. The character design was good. The animation was good. It was all interesting to look at. And we've seen some movies that were pretty badly animated recently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree. It genuinely made me laugh in moments. Um, we watched it with our kids. Uh, as we go on on way too seriously, some of the kids movies we will watch by ourselves and some with our kids. Hotel yeah. Transylvania we watched with our kids. And one of the good things about it was our younger daughter uh, has recently been afraid of Dracula because somebody told her the story of Dracula until she felt like she was going to have nightmares. Somebody, not me. <laughs> um, yeah, that was me. Sorry. But so she's been a little scared of Dracula, and then we watched a movie about Dracula being, you know, not at all funny threatening and, and funny yeah. and silly, and even he has moments of uh, a scary face, but they go by quickly, and you laugh at them, and I think it all helped her find it. She got past, yeah, her scaredness, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see whether she has nightmares tonight. I don't think she will. Yeah. Um, anything else that you would call a high point? No, I think mostly it was funny. <laughs> like the the actual like what the experience of watching it was funny. It was entertaining. Yeah, but well, then once we talked about it afterwards, all the problematic al- elements of it came out, and I stopped liking it as much. Well, I think one of the things that we'll do in this podcast is we'll talk about uh, movies in terms of how entertaining they are, movies in terms of the quality of the movie, which is not necessarily the same thing. You can enjoy the experience of a movie but think it wasn't actually very well done or vice versa. And then I think we'll talk a little bit about what I call the, how good or evil the movie is, what the ideas behind it and whether they're good or evil. So in terms of enjoyment, our kids definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it pretty well for a kid's movie. Yeah, it was was decent for a kid's movie. Definitely. I don't think I'd watch it again really, really soon, but maybe like, on Halloween, it might be one that we watch again. Or, And I would be interested. I haven't seen the sequel to it yet. It was kind of advertised all over the place at a certain time. 
recently, and so I really felt like the sequel kind of was thrown in my face, so maybe I'll watch that eventually. In terms of the overall quality, as we said, visually the quality is high. Uh, the music is not great. The music is worse than not great. <laughs> if we're moving from high points to low points. <laughs> For a movie that has, you know, Selena Gomez. Andy Sandberg. Andy Sandler, and, and, and Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. CeeLo Green. The, this music was not very good, you guys. No, it was terrible. The like, I mean, it was date like it was weird because I don't think of 2012 as being all that long ago, but it was dated, and it's 2017 now, and it's auto tune is not a thing we hear a lot of anymore, and it's garbage. Especially <laughs> the nice. like auto tuned out of control, you could not unrecognizable as human voices level yeah. of auto-tune. But I mean, it was partly, I think they did that on purpose. Like that was like the trend at the time. They wanted to be kind of funny auto-tune. But, but it hasn't aged well. No, it has not aged well at all. It also, a little bit of the thing that happened sometimes where it was a movie where they couldn't decide whether it was a musical or not. So they had two big musical numbers, and they were both yeah. the characters singing. Well, like, the, the last musical number was, like, at the very end, so it felt like a lot of movies, a lot of kids' movies do that, where they have the, like, yeah. musical thing at the end. The so, music was all plot irrelevant. Yeah, Like, there was no no need for any of the songs, to be honest. Yeah, agreed. Um, Do you want to get into some of the isms of it? Sure. So that's the isms in my mind are like what how how it touches on sexism and feminism and racism, racism and, obviously. And, uh, and so, I mean, difficult elements. I think number one thing to start with it, and it's connected to the quality of the writing. Like when we were talking about quality things, you said, we said the animation was good. The music wasn't good. And we didn't get to writing. Right. And I think if we're going to yes. talk about writing, we're going into the uh, isms of it, as you put it, the plot. I mean, you, we were talking about it earlier before we recorded and you had some criticisms of the way the plot is laid out. Well, the plot is all, at first, you feel like it's about the father and daughter. It really starts off being like, it's Dracula and it's his daughter. And then suddenly this human shows up and the daughter is basically dropped for a lot of the movie. And she, it isn't really about her decisions. It's just about Dracula and him trying to hide this human at the hotel. And the daughter, father-daughter relationship is dropped. It's just, it's really all over the place. And then in like the final half hour of the movie it just goes to nonsense it just goes to just like cramming in as much as they can they go to a bizarre festival that makes no sense and has no place in the movie whatsoever and boom 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 done yeah there there's a few plot points near the end that we're gonna complain about the plot at the end of the movie the you know when dracula's chasing down jonathan to bring him back to the castle and we'll get back to that because that's something we need to get back to but they come across across this village having a monster festival for no reason by coincidence and all the people know that monsters are real for no reason by coincidence I don't, do they know that monsters are real or well, they're frankenstein just like celebrating frankenstein monsters. comes and is like i'm trying to scare you i'm the real frankenstein and the crowd's like we know yeah and we love you <laughs> Ah! 
trying to scare you. The real Frankenstein. We know. We love you. Can you sign my torch? And then they like all protect Dracula so that he doesn't have to go out into the sun, except that five seconds later it turns out he can go out into the the sun sun, and it doesn't matter and he's in the sun for what feels like an hour of movie time. And then the, you know, all of that is just nonsense from a plot structure uh, perspective. Well, even like from the perspective of how the movie was made, the number of writers is a bad thing. If there's a lot of writers, then that's too many cooks in the kitchen. It's too many people helping. And there's five people connected to this, the writing of this movie. There's a screenplay. It's by two people, and then there's three people that it says story by, and I don't know how movies are made entirely, but to have two people do the screenplay and four, three other people do the story, it's that not means connected. That they presented, someone presented a story that didn't really make sense, and it was put together with another story that wasn't really making sense, and the screenplay writer tried to meld them together and did a kind of good job and kind of bad job. Yeah. And this brings us back to the father-daughter relationship that starts off the movie and gets dropped. And that's a big problem for like the plot making sense and being uh, compelling and logical. That is our main character. Dracula is our main character. The daughter is our main character. Johnny. Johnny. We, the movie can't decide. and, And, but it also is a problem for other reasons, do you want to get into that? A well, bit? I mean, and also, like, is it a romantic movie? Is it a father and daughter movie? Is it a humans versus monsters movie? It doesn't really know what the themes are of it, right? And then the problematic elements of this daughter who has no, very little agency. The father is controls her and keeps her in his castle and controls the circumstances in which she leaves the castle. And then we're supposed to celebrate that it's all great, that she meets this boy. But the plot, it's very explicit in the father is then handing her over to this new man. And she has no agency in choosing, you know, and oh, it just happens to be the first man who comes into the castle she falls in love with and it's true love well, and that's well, just like hold on we'll get I think, to that part but in yeah. terms of like literally the end part of the movie uh explicitly and literally is about dracula and jonathan negotiating together and making an agreement for who gets to possess the daughter yeah like that's ex- yeah actually what is happening that is literally what's happening they agree that no dracula is not going to own his daughter anymore that her new husband will own her my dear boy i have made a terrible mistake i was trying to keep my baby to myself because i knew i would always protect her but i realize now children need to discover things for themselves they'll stumble and fall laugh and cry but such is life. The truth is, you and Mavis are meant to be. You think? If she must give her trust to someone else, I'm thankful that it is you, Jonathan. I hope you can hear me and forgive me. They haven't talked to her. Yeah, well, we know that's not a sequel that they get married, the, so I kind of... The, even, like, the last scene of them coming together, I thought almost thought that was a wedding, except that it was still her birthday. But, but like, uh, I mean... Whether they were married is not really the point. No. The point really is that uh, 
you know, and he says, I'm comfortable, I forget the words exactly, but something to the effect of I'm comfortable letting go of you because there's someone else to take care of yeah. you now, right? Yeah. And all this happens in consultation between Dracula and Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, well, despite the fact that she does, she chooses to be with Jonathan and do, does give, like, Johnny, is it Jonathan or Johnny? He introduces himself to Jonathan and uh, it's a kind of clever that his name is Jonathan because he's... Uh, Reference Jonathan. to Jonathan Harker, oh, who is yeah. the human character in Dracula. Dracula so Jonathan comes to Castle Dracula. He's the oh, human, and insta- you know, that's a reference, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, of course, I didn't even think of that. Anyway, Johnny, she chooses Johnny and kisses him on. Like she definitely chooses to kiss him on purpose, but very little. And and then if we're going to talk about female characters. The other two female characters are this, the Bride of Frankenstein. Frank, did you book us for a tandem massage? Did you get us a table at Hunchbacks? Did you do anything? Who, before I realized she's played by Fran Drescher, before I even realized she was, I was like, oh, this is like this horrible stereotype, like the nanny. And she's... And it turns out it literally is. Yeah, it turns out literally is. She's shrieking horrible true of a wife and that just like that stereotype is old and it's been done and it's uh, thing it, I hated saying, every moment she was on screen I was just get her off my screen I did not like her at all this is the thing we were saying before we recorded too that the you know the sh- shrill nagging wife uh, cliche wasn't funny the first time yeah, and has not aged in that like Fran Drescher's bit was not funny when on The Nanny 25 years ago, and on this movie she's doing exactly the same bit. My voice is annoying and I na- I'm naggy. Yeah. And the shrew wife cliche oh. was, is, you know, good hundreds of years older than that, and yeah. it hasn't been funny yeah. since the beginning, and is was offensive originally, and is now also so tired. Yeah, exactly. Bad in every funny. kind of way. And I'm sad that my kids had, my daughters had to see like that stereotype again, like having been there. The other uh, female character is the wolf wife, whose name I can't even remember. Yes. Which says something. Played by Molly Shannon. But did is, she have five lines in the movie? Is she, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can even call her a character aside from the fact that she's played by Molly Shannon. But she's like hugely pregnant with like a thousand kids, and basically she's the one in charge of the kids. She's she's not. I, she's worse than that, right? She's know. the uh, mechanism by which the werewolf, the, well, the wolf man, has kids. The wolf man has a lot of kids. He's a henpecked, worn down father. He needs to have a pregnant wife in order for the kids to make sense, You're and so right. he has a pregnant wife. Yeah. She's not a character. She's not a character. She's, she's a mechanism. mechanism. You're totally right. And like he's, you know, worn he's, out by having to take care of the kids all the time, but their, yeah. their mother is not doesn't exist because we don't care in this movie at all about uh women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything else in terms of oh yeah, we were gonna get back to the romance aspect. I said I told you to hold off on that and come back to it, uh which is the major mechanism in this movie of the how the romance works is they're really fixated on the idea in the movie they call Zing, which, uh, by yeah. the way, is a 
attempt at a catchphrase that gets tired the second time they use it yeah. and they use it hundreds of times. Yeah. But uh Zing is basically love at first sight. The first time they kiss, there's a zing and they feel it. And so that and that's how Dracula back when he had a wife felt about her and she was his one true love. And that's how what's her name? Mavis feels the first time she kisses Johnny and therefore like and they really imply that you get that one zing. They don't imply it. They and, no, it they straight right. up say it. Two lonely bats crashed in the night. They felt a zing love at first sight. They knew right then they would be husband and wife. For a zing only happens once in your life. Your zing will come, my love. Cherish it. Love. That like you get that one <laughs> zing and that's it. That's the love of your life, and you gotta get them or you get no one. And like, what? It sure <laughs> is. Nonsense. It sure is lucky, Jan, that <laughs> the one true love she's ever going to have in her life was also the one person <laughs> approximately <laughs> who happened to walk into the castle. <laughs> I say her age, but she's 118 and yeah. he's 21. But human, whatever, human vampire. We can hand wave that. That yeah. doesn't really matter but the one person her age she's ever met just happens to be the one true love she has and is ever going to get a chance at having yeah and they don't need to have any conversations or any develop anything between them they just have to both exist on screen and a little flash in their eyes amazing and that's true yeah like they were they barely have a conversation no they have they've, they talk about the human world basically and she desires to travel to the human world to be part of the human world instead of the monster world and they don't explore that barely at all and i feel like that's what the movie starts out wanting to explore is this kind of her wanting to leave and go to the human world and then it just drops that entirely and it's all about her love story with him sort of sort of it's not the multiple yeah, it's not about we should be clear doing. again it's not about her love story with him. It's about her father's love story with him. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he courts Dracula yeah. for the permission to possess his yeah. daughter. But it's not even... Okay, so moving on from that love story to what the actual story ends up being is Dracula and humans and whether he trusts humans and whether humans have changed since the hundred years ago when they killed his wife... And basically, he, like, discovers, yeah, his love stories with Johnny is, like, discovering that humans can be A-OK. And the festival really, like, caps that off of, like, humans are great. They don't care about monsters anymore. Even they, though they love monsters. They, they love monsters now. But it's unclear about, like, what is the metaphor? Like, they're, they're trying almost to have yeah. a metaphor here. So let's... Should we move on to we, that? We or? should move on to that, that yes. No, I think it's a separate thing, <laughs> yeah. but we should kind of be clear, introduce it, and go into it. And that's that uh, one of the things that is, I think, muddies, the plot is muddy, but one of the other things that muddies the movie is that they have, you know, the monster world and the human world, and they skate past a few times the, that being a metaphor for something. Yeah. So my first, the first metaphor really comes at one point, Dracula even says the words like, what would happen if the monsters came out 
Drac, this is the 21st century. People aren't the same as they were back then. Can you tell me for certain that if we came out in the open, everyone would accept us? Came out there, and it's like, it's a very clear, like, oh, what if the monsters are a metaphor for LGBT people and they're coming out of the closet? And it's almost like when there's a festival, they're having a pride parade for monsters, except that if you're extending that metaphor, it would be the straight people holding a pride parade and it just doesn't add up. And plus, and then they are not, actual monsters who, well, are, who hurt people. They don't hurt people, but well, the, yes, they, they used to or whatever. I think they really make sure that not that they don't hurt people, but because yeah, um, it's a kids movie. What they do is, yeah, the movie's just not really interested in exploring that. At no, all. so they like all. maybe mon- maybe we're telling a movie about how monsters are closeted and they could come out, and because it's twenty twelve or whatever year it's set in. Yeah. Uh, now the world's much more accepting and it's safe to be different, except that uh, that's, uh, yeah. Um, now it's 2017. It's not it's anymore. Not anymore. Um, but uh, they, there's, you know, two or three scenes in the movie where they're kind of interested in talking about that, but they don't build on that at all. They don't mm-hmm. ever go anywhere with that idea. And then, so it's, they kind of, as I, as I said, skate past that idea, but then don't yeah. really build on it. And it could have been something this movie was about, but it isn't. But it isn't. And then what's the other... And they, and it also can be a metaphor for racism as well. They say the Dracula's saying, you know, I don't want her to marry one of that kind. And it's like kind of a metaphor for interracial marriage, maybe. But but again, they're not again, really interested in actually not exploring really that very much, and they uh, really just barely skate past that, and they don't, you know, are the yeah. There's a bit of a gesture towards that as a metaphor that they're they, it's about segregation, and they have to be separate, and they can uh, love can overcome the segregation of races, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's again, they're not really interested in digging into that at all. Not at all. And uh, by the way, taking this way too seriously. Yes, that's the title of the podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, what else did we want to? Um, we didn't talk about the stuff that we didn't like. Just the straight up stuff about the movie that we didn't like. Oh yeah. So we maybe we could go back. That's so maybe we started at the beginning. We started like, with highlights. And with low lights. <laughs> just the invisible man. Yeah. Both of us really didn't like he's played by what David Spade, David Spade. Which honestly I don't love David Spade. I don't love David I don't love Adam Sandler movies in general. But this was okay for him. He was actually pretty good in this. But the David Spade character was just there was no point to him at all. His all of his jokes were crude. Sort of. Sort of. Kind of toothless crude that you can do in a kid's movie, but it's also kind of like innuendo-y. And they also, you know, The Invisible Man is a a great opportunity for visual gags, and they didn't do any. Yeah. Except one. They did one that made us laugh where he's doing charades, but they could have been very punchy, and it wasn't. Yeah. They really dragged that out. Thought of another female character is like the random monster who eats everything. Yeah. And then says, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Which, like, 
it was like Bart Simpson being like, I didn't do it. And I was like, I don't know. Our kids, our thought, kids thought that our was kids pretty thought funny. It was hilarious, but I was like, I don't know. That's not really. In terms of the humor funny. of the movie, I liked, there were a lot of little moments that were funny, but basically all the running gags were not funny. Yeah. There were a number of things they tried that, like, the invisible man is offended that people are describing him or can't see him because he's invisible. Ha ha, get it. Yeah. And like, the wolf man has lots of kids and isn't that funny. And Frankenstein's yeah. wife is nagging and shrewish and isn't that funny. Yeah. And none of it. None of those jokes landed, just even as he wrote. Yeah, lots exactly. of little moments did land. Yeah. Well, oh, and the thing you wanted to say that was so serious, <laughs> taking it way too seriously, is Quasimodo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, this is where I put on my glasses and, and <laughs> say, well, technically, in a movie about monsters and humans, one of the characters was uh, Quasimodo uh, as the chef and Quasimodo is human. Mm-hmm. He's not a monster. He's like, he's just a human with a hunchback. Well, the thing is, this movie is done by Sony, not by Disney. So Disney did the, did the hunchback, and they were all about who was the monster and who was the man, and they knew that Quasimodo was a man. Sony apparently doesn't know that. They think that Quasimodo is a monster. <laughs> yeah, I actually can't decide whether I think it's kind of funny that... Quasimodo is a French chef because he's French. Like, at least they know that he's French. And they even had him swinging around on the rafters because they're aware that he, like... But on the other hand, like, Quasimodo is not a monster. No, he's He's a human. And if you take that way too seriously, you gotta say it like, you know, is saying that someone who's deformed, someone who's... Yeah, and that is... Disabled is not a human, and that's deplorable. Because the whole idea of Quasimodo as a monster... Like the whole idea of the Hunchback of Notre Dame is that people treat him as monstrous because he's alienated from humanity by virtue of his body. Yeah. And so casting Quasimodo in a movie as a monster is tacitly saying that to be uh, disabled in any way is to be monstrous, is to be separate from humanity. He's not even, like, it's not even that he's more comfortable among the monsters because he's not accepted by humans. It's, you know, he is not human because he's uh, not able-bodied. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, the other thing is all the, like, monster is a very fuzzy thing because, frankly, like, Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster... (laughs) (laughs) as he might be called is everyone already knows that (laughs) is human he's made of human parts is Uh, he human or is he like yeah i guess that's i don't know i think he's pretty much not human because he's made from pieces that are put together and they're not human anymore and they're definitely all the monsters are undead pretty much well and all the monsters are pretty much the movie version yeah. Like they're, oh, it's, it's, it's movie Dracula, it's movie Frankenstein. They're not trying yeah. to reference the books at all. Yeah. Oh, uh, we didn't, scale? we didn't talk about, um, the performances. I think, I thought, I think oh. in, uh, in the interest of fairness, I wanted to say that I actually thought that Andy Samberg did a pretty good job. Yeah. Uh, as a performance, I thought that, uh, it was my favorite Adam Sandler performance possibly ever (laughs) (laughs) i'm not the biggest adam sandler fan either 
So that's not saying much. Yeah. I thought Selena Gomez did a yeah, perfectly a good job. They didn't give her very much to do. Uh, but she did a fine job. Yeah. I thought, uh, David Spade as the, uh, invisible man was pointless. Yeah. And, uh, the wolf man was, um, uh, Steve Buscemi and he was fine. Yeah. The performances were generally fine, generally, but I thought yeah. that the ma- the leads, which turned out in the end to be Adam Sandler and uh, Andy Samberg, were both good yeah, and funny. Yeah, you're right. They they yeah, they stood out as being as being good. I think CeeLo Green as the mummy, and that was disappointingly uh, didn't help the music of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Which should have. Yeah, CeeLo Green is great. They're all like it's a bunch of musicians in this movie. Crappy ass music. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so we, we have a uh, scale system we were thinking of, which would go from one of our absolute least favorite kids' movies that we watched with our kids to one of our favorite kids' movies. So our least favorite kids' movie we've watched was called Strange Magic. And we'll probably do a do a podcast about we that. Probably will. Directed by George Lucas. I really don't want to watch it again, <laughs> so I might have to do a podcast about it from memory. <laughs> Two on the high end, we're going to go with My Neighbor Totoro because Totoro is like one of my favorites, one of the best charming, the beautifully oh. animated, appealing to all ages. Yeah. I mean, the plot doesn't really go anywhere, but it's a beautiful movie. Yeah. So on a scale. Of Strange Magic to Totoro, where does uh, Tra- Hotel Transylvania sit? About halfway for me, but more on the Strange Magic side. See, and I would say just about the opposite. I would say also about halfway, but just a little more on the Totoro side, because I enjoyed the experience of watching it. There's a lot of problems with it when we pick it apart, but Strange Magic was, you know, there was no pleasure involved in watching it. <laughs> Whereas, like, I can find some things to pick apart in a movie I really loved, like Totoro, but what makes it on the high end is I sit down and watch it and I am happy to have watched yeah. it. And I'm happier to have watched... Would you watch this again? If the kids wanted to watch it again, I would not necessarily veto it. Whereas if the kids wanted to watch Strange Magic on our low end, I would say... There is no way. <laughs> we're never, watching, we're never watching that movie again. And there's been other movies that I would say, yeah. no, no, let's not I watch I feel like, again. yeah, this might be one that I'd watch on Halloween. I, I wouldn't again, suggest like, it to the kids. Yeah. Like, if I was thinking up movies, hey, let's watch. I'm not going to put Hotel Transylvania out there as one of the options. Yeah. But if they say, can we please watch Hotel Transylvania? I think I would say, yeah, that's okay. true. That's true. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode of Way Too Seriously. Jen, where can people find us? Well, you can find us on our, our website is goodstuff.fm slash WTS. Our uh, Twitter handle, where we'd love to hear any conversation you have about this movie or any other kids movie you want to talk about, at WTScast. You can email us at waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear suggestions of movies to talk about in the future. As we said, we, and we'd love to hear suggestions of movies to talk about in the future. You can also support us more directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And 
If you like this, leave a rating or review on iTunes so other people can find it too. That would be fantastic. I guess it's not, is it called iTunes still? Apple Podcasts, I think. Okay. Because they're rebranding things Apple instead of I. I reviewed things on iTunes recently, so I think it's still iTunes. The I was Steve Jobs. <laughs> now he's not <laughs> around anymore. It's not him anymore. <laughs> he was always the I. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> anyway, that's the end of this. So, seriously, we're done. We're no. way too thankful. To be seriously, thank you for joining this podcast. Is that how we're ending things? 